Um, if you have your Bible, join me in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. As you keep a spirit of reverence, I'm going to read it um, for you from the NIV version. This is what it says. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus, for your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people. And it is incomparably great power for us who believe that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but in also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything and every way. The word of God is already blessed. Amen. Y'all falling asleep on me. Amen. I want to preach from this simple subject, so that they might. Somebody say that with me. So that they might. Let's flip it like this. So that you might. So that I might. Say it. So that I might. One of the biggest challenges in life is not knowing what you're supposed to know. Are you all with me? One of the biggest challenges in life is not knowing what you're supposed to know. Um, don't worry, uh, um, Daniel. Uh, not know what you're supposed to know. One of the things, I've shared this with you, one of the things that with us, especially men, we look at a picture and we see something, we think we can put it together without following, reading the direction. Um, most people don't know that their car, in the glove compartment, in the car, there's a handbook. That a lot of the minor problems that your car have if you read the handbook, you can fix it yourself. Most people don't know that with your cell phone, when you're so glad to tear the box and open it, there's a little book in the back of the cell phone that in the box that you don't care for, that's the handbook. Most of us are not accustomed to read the handbook. Let, let me put it to you this way. When you go to college, they give you a handbook. The handbook tells you exactly which class you need to take in order for you to graduate on time. But most of us don't read the handbook. We took a whole lot of electives, never take the core um, courses. Y'all know what I'm talking about. That's why some of us, we spend five, six years, seven years in college. Not because we go part-time, because we don't read the handbook. 
Well, they tell the story of um, a poor German pastor, a pastor wife who had a son, um, never dreaming that he would one day achieve world-renowned and great wealth. His name was Henrik Schalman. He was seven years old, and he, he, he pictured, uh, um, there's a picture of ancient Troy and flames capture, that captured his imagination. Contrary to what many people believe, Henrik argued that Homer's great poems, that Hilliard and Odyssey were based on historic facts. He set out to prove it. In 1873, he uncovered the ancient site of Troy, along with some fabulous treasure, which is smuggled out of the country. Much of the anger of the Turkish government, too much of the anger of the Turkish government, Henrik became a famous wealthy man because he dared to believe an ancient record and an act of his faith. The thing is that when we discovered, we discovered that we were rich. We were born rich when we trusted in Christ. But it is not enough for us to grow and our understanding of our riches if we are ever going to use them for the glory of God. Too many of us read certain things, but we don't read it to the fullest. I know I've lost some of you. Let me, come, let me bring it back a notch. A lot of times, we have treasures in our hands because we don't read about what we have it can be thrown out without us knowing that we have wealth. We have something powerful in our hands. Too many Christians are not living to their full potential because they do not read the handbook. Too many Christians are not living to their full potential because they have no desire to read the handbook to find out what it says about them. What Paul is doing here, as we've already learned the past two weeks about this church, about what this church in Ephesus, that we learned that this church, they have a lot of money. As a matter of fact, I was reading um, last night that um, that city was so rich that they believe that a lot of the things that we have in the world today were invented there, or their base for invention took place in that city. Um, but, but, but see, the thing is that you may be wealthy in a sense, but if you do not know the source and how to use that wealth and how to interact with that wealth, it wouldn't serve you nothing. So there are too many of us that we are saved in Christ. We have the, the riches of the Father. We have the blessings of the Son. We have the blessings from the Holy Spirit. But we don't know that. Therefore, we can't act the way that we are. You guys have seen enough stories. You know enough movies. You see enough movies to know that. Uh, um, like I said, my favorite one is, is coming to America. Coming to America, right? The prince pretend to be poor, 
and people who interact with him do not know who he is, so therefore they treat him as he is. A lot of us, what it is, we are living a life without knowing who we are and whose we are and the kind of power that's available to us, so therefore we don't know. We walk around like this, like Gugu Gaga, not knowing we're supposed to be. In this text, what Paul is praying for the church of Ephesians is that they would understand what great wealth that they have in Christ. Paul knew of their faith and love, and in this he rejoiced. That's what he says in the beginning of the text. He said this, I never stop. He says this, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, uh, uh, um, no, 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 verse 15, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus, in your love, for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. And I always remember you in my prayers. Paul knew of their faith, their love, and, and that Paul rejoiced. The Christian life, has that's not in the PowerPoint, don't worry about it, has two, two dimensions. Faith toward God and love toward men. I don't care what you said. If you're a Christian, you love God. You place your faith in God. And the second part is as important as the first part. You better love God's people. Are you all, are you all listening to me? Uh, okay? You love God. The way people are going to know you love God, you're going to love his people. But Paul knew that you cannot separate your faith from God and how you love people. Paul knew that their faith and love were just the beginning. The Ephesians needed to know much more. That is why Paul prayed this prayer for them, and I believe it is for us. Um, listen, in the book of Ephesians, there are two prayers. There's this one, and there's one in chapter 3. But Paul has this series of books that he wrote while he was in prison. In Philippians, there's prayer. In Colossians, there's a prayer. What we discover is that Paul wanted them not just to be converted, but Paul wanted them to enjoy the, 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 the gifts that they had in Christ Jesus. Um, listen here. Let me, let me quickly get to this um, before I get to uh, my four points. And in 20 minutes, we're out of here. I promise you. Listen what Paul said to them in verse 18. I want you to guys know this. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Okay? Paul prayed a prayer of enlightenment. Enlightenment is simply this, for their eyes to be lit up, for light to shine. And it is the same way for you and I. If there is no light that opens in our eyes, we're still going to be walking in darkness. Did you guys hear what I said? If 
the light of God does not shine upon us, we will still be walking in darkness. Um, one thing I like in my house, I don't care if I live up north, if I live down south, I make sure that the pathway from my bedroom to the bathroom is clear. I make sure that the pathway from the door to my bedroom is clear. Before I go to bed, I'm the last one to go. Before I go to bed, I check, make sure that the way from the kids' room, from, the, from their bedrooms, to my room, there's no obstacle. Do you know why? This is how I sleep. If I hear anything in the middle of the night, I'm going to go and go check. If I turn on the light, I cannot go back to sleep. Are you all with me? If it's still in the darkness, I can go check. I can go back. I can go to sleep. Once the light turn on, uh, I, can go to, I can go back to sleep. So, so what I do is this. I make sure that I can operate in darkness. Because when the light turn on, ooh, when the light turn on, I can no longer go back to sleep because I need darkness to go back to sleep. So in the same way, Paul prayed that they will be enlightened. There are two quick things about enlightened. Paul says that their enlightenment comes from the Holy Spirit. He is the spirit of wisdom and revelation. So, in other words, the spirit of God would enlighten you. Paul prayed that the spirit of God would enlighten them so that they would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation. In the same way that it is the prayer that you will be enlightened by the spirit of God so that you can have wisdom and revelation. The Spirit reveals truth to us from the world. I don't understand how a Christian can walk in this world without the Holy Spirit. I don't get it. Jesus himself said, I am sending you one who is just like me. That's not the four points. I only have the four points in PowerPoint. It's a cheap PowerPoint. Don't, don't, don't look up. Just listen to me. All right? The Spirit of God gives us wisdom to understand and apply God's Word. Now, watch the second part. The enlightenment comes from the heart of the believer. The eyes of your heart being enlightened. The eyes of your heart. Um, I wish I put this in PowerPoint, but I'm going to share with you anyways. When the Bible speaks about the eyes of your heart, it talks about your inner being. Are you guys with me? Your inner being. In the same way, you can see your inner man. And here's what the Bible says about your inner being. Watch this, watch this. Your inner being can see. Your inner being can hear. Your inner being can taste. Your inner being can smell. Your inner being can touch. In other words, the, your senses connects with your inner being. The Bible says, um, see that the Lord is good. It says, come and test that the Lord is good. You can hear God. You can see God. You can touch God. You can smell God. This is what Paul wants the people to, to 
to know. If you are enlightened, you're able to do those things. Now, I got four things for you, and I'll take my seat. Number one, Paul prayed that they might know God. It's in verse 17a. Um, I keep asking that, God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious of the Father, 17b rather, uh, uh, um, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you might know him better. God desires for you to know him better. Um, you don't believe me. I, I did some Greek word, Greek, Greek work. Um, the word to know here, it literally means to know someone through personal relationship. God wants you to know him better. And Paul prayed that you and I might know God better through personal relationship. Ah, um, this is the highest knowledge possible. The atheist claims there is no God for us to know. The agnostic, um, agnostic states that if there is a God, we cannot know him. But Paul has met God in, person, in the person of Jesus Christ. And he knows that a man really cannot understand much of anything without a knowledge of God. Uh, the willful Ignorance of God led mankind into corrupt, cor corruption and condemnation. Um, but for the believer, for the believer to grow, and his, uh, uh, the believer must grow in his knowledge of God. And watch this. To know God personally, that's salvation. To know God Increasingly is sanctification. To know God perfectly, that's glorification. Pause, rewind. Um, there is no way you can call yourself a Christian without knowing God personally. Because when you know God personally, you give up your life to God, to Christ, and then you become saved. To know God increasingly you are being sanctified each day, each hour. You are being more and more and more like Christ. Um, you, you, you know, I, I love basketball. And my second favorite player was Kobe Bryant. My favorite player is Michael Jordan. I know some of you don't even know who Michael Jordan was. It's not the guy who makes the shoes, just who makes the shoes. He is the greatest basketball player who ever played the game, despite what you think about LeBron James. But, but, but see, and I've heard this argument. I've heard this argument made. And somebody said, you know, there, there was, somebody was arguing about the, 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 the starting, five, starting five of all time, the, the, the best of all time. And somebody said, what about Kobe Bryant? You know, I think it might have been Stephen A. They did that have Kobe Bryant in their starting five. And I was mad. I was like, wow, because they said this 
For Kobe Bryant to be in the starting five, the position that he plays, he had to be the best at it. But here is what Kobe did. Kobe played for 20 years. You know, I'm not going to say may he rest in peace because I don't know if, he re if he's resting in peace. Um, that's a different sub subject. But here's what Kobe did, right? Kobe mimicked his game exactly after Michael Jordan. The way Jordan walked, he walked. The way Jordan, sh sh you know, shot the ball, he shoots the ball. Everything Michael did, Kobe did it. And Kobe, what people didn't know until Kobe's death, Kobe had a very personal relationship with Michael Jordan. He would call him at any given time and say, what would you do if that, that, this, 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 this part? So in other words, for Kobe really to be the second Jordan, he had to copy him. He had to get to know him and play like him. What I'm trying to tell you in a deeper and a higher and a holier level, you ought to be with God what Kobe was to Michael Jordan. Somebody got it. Amen. Somebody got the pastor's boring illustration. In other words, you ought to know God. Kobe would call Michael Jordan at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning and says, what would you do? When he had a question, he had a direct line to Michael Jordan and called him and said, and said, and said Jay, what, what would you do? Oh, can I tell you? You have a direct access to God. You can call him at any time, at any given moment and say, what would you do, Jesus? How would you have me do this? They said this, flattery is the best form of imitation. Imitation is, imitation is the... Thank you, my son. I, I have a smart boy. Amen. Imitation is the sincere, sincerest form of flattery. Listen, would you imitate Jesus? God desires that you may know him better. Um, they, tell this, they tell this story, and, and I'll move on to the second point, right? Um, Arthur Burns was a, was a chair of the Federal Reserve in the 1970s. And he also was a, a Jewish economist of great influence in Washington during the tenure of several presidents. Burns was once asked to pray at a gathering of evangelical polit politicians. Stunning his host, he prayed thus, and I quote, Lord, I pray that the Jews will come to know Jesus Christ. I, and I pray that the Buddhists will come to know Jesus Christ. And I pray that the Muslim will come to know Jesus Christ. And then, most stunning of all, it says, and Lord, I pray that Christian will come to know Jesus Christ. You missed it. A lot of us, we claim to be Christian, but we don't know Jesus Christ. What Paul is saying here, he prays that we would know intimately Jesus. The way, it's that deep intimacy. It's not just a physical intimacy. We talk about a husband and a wife, but in a way that you know this. For instance, if I look at my wife, if I'm talking too much in one thing, just by a look, I know she tell me, move on. Somebody get it. The, the, the idea is that you ought to know God intimately. And Paul prayed that they would know him intimately. Um, second thing, in verse 18a, not only that they would know God, that they might know God, but 
pray, Paul prays uh, um, not only that they, they, they might know God, but Paul also prayed that they might know God's calling. Watch this. Verse 18a. Paul said, next slide. Paul says, I pray that the eyes of their heart may be enlightened in order that they know the hope to which he has called you. The, the, the word called is an important word for Christian vocabulary. The word church is a combination of two Greek words, means called out. And, and Greek ecclesia, it's, it's called out. You've been called out of wherever you were and to God's family. Paul was never tired of testifying that God called him by grace. He reminded Timothy that he had a holy calling. We have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. And we also have been called to glory. God calls us by grace and not because of any merit that we may possess. Paul wanted us to understand that the hope that is ours of this calling. Stay with me. Some callings offers, offer no hope. But the calling we have in Christ assures us of a delightful future. Keep in mind that the word, the word hope in the Bible does not mean hope so, like a children hoping for a gift, like my kids hoping that I'll take them to Disney in the summer. Not that. The word carries with it the assurance for the future. In other words, the believer's hope is, of course, the return of Jesus Christ for his church. When we were lost, we were without hope. But in Christ, we have been giving a hope. You missed it. When you did not know Jesus, you were without hope. But when you know Jesus, you got to hope that one day, one day he will come for you. You got to hope that he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So you know to whom you've been called. And you know as to why you've been called. The hope that belongs to us should be a dynamic force in our lives today. That hope ought to encourage young men and young women to be pure. That hope ought to encourage children and adults to be obedient. That hope ought to encourage you and I to be faithful to God because God is faithful to us. The fact that is this, we ought to be pure, obedient, and faithful and here is the most important part of it, because one day, one day, Jesus is coming back to those who he called. He's going to come back for you and I. We know, we pray that they might know God, they might know God's calling. Thirdly, 
they might know God's riches. Um, verse 18 uh, um, B says this, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people. This phrase does not refer to our inheritance in Christ, but is inheritance in us. You guys get that? Christ has inheritance in us. This is an amazing truth that God should look on us as a part of his great wealth. Just as a man's wealth brings glory to his name, so God will get glory from the church because of what he has invested in us. When Jesus returns, we shall be the praise of the glory of his grace. God deals with us on the basis of our future, not our past. Let me say this again. God deals with us on the basis of our future, not our past. God deals with us on the basis of who we're going to be, not who we used to be. I try, I try. You're sleeping on me, but it's okay, I try. I try my very best. Let me say this again. God deals with you on the basis of who you're going to be, not on who you used to be. Jesus paid the price for what you used to be. God deals with you and who you are becoming and who you will be and who Jesus made you to be. Ooh, I feel like preaching. Let me, let, me say, let me say this again. In other words, in your sinfulness, God let Jesus dealt with that. But in your sanctification and your glorification God deals with you and who you're going to be who do you know who you're going to be you're gonna be a co-heir with God in Christ Jesus you're gonna you're gonna share in the inheritance of Christ Jesus you 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 know when, when somebody died you see children are fighting over how much money is left for, for from their parents we, we, we don't have to fight. We all going to have our portion. And it's secured. And no one can take it away from us. Um, what we know about the riches of God is that the blessings that we've learned from the Father, the blessings from the Son, the blessings from the Holy Spirit... These will be ours. And Paul prayed that we might know that spiritually God has blessed us with all the blessings in the heavenly realm. When Paul says that they might know God's riches, what he's suggesting is that Christ will not enter his promised glory until, there, until the church is there to share it with him. Jesus will not come back until the church is full to capacity to share with him in glory. Paul prayed 
for this. Jesus prayed for this before he died in John 17. And this prayer will be answered. Christ will be glorified and we will be glorified with him. Knowing this should make you want to dedicate your life, should want to make you devote your life to Jesus Christ. I'm done. Last one. Maybe this one will get you excited. That you might know God's power. Not only you might know God, not only you might know God's calling, not only, not only you might know God's riches, but you might know God's power. Verse 19 to 23. I'm done. Um, by making us his inheritance, God has shown his love. By promising us a wonderful future, he has encouraged our hope. Paul offered something to challenge our faith. The exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe. Verse 19 says this, and is incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is, uh, is the same as the mighty strength he exerted um, when he raised Christ from the dead. Um, what, what's that song? The same power that raised Jesus from the grave is in us. Y'all know that song? The same power, huh? The same power that raised Jesus from the grave lives in you and I. This is where it comes from. And, and, and watch, watch this, watch this. Power, power, the word power, it's dunamis, dunamis, power, in a sense of dynamite. But that's the power as in dynamo and dynamite. Um, there is this other word, um, energia, where you find uh, um, energy, right? Um, working as energy. There's another word, kratos, um, mighty. Um, there's another word, iscus, power. In verse 19, you can translate it. Watch this in this. What is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the operation of the might of his strength? What he's saying here is talking about the, the, the divine, dynamic, eternal energy available to us. After all, what good is to have wealth if you are too weak to use it? Or if you are so afraid of robbers, you cannot really enjoy it. Um, John D. Rockefeller was the world's first billionaire. It is said that man, for many years, he lived on crackers and milk because of stomach troubles caused by worrying about his wealth. He rarely had a good night's sleep, and guards stood constantly at his door, wealthy but miserable. When he began to share his wealth with others and great philanthropic endeavors, his wealth improved considerably and he lived to be an old man. In other words, when he kept it all to himself, he was miserable and he could not even enjoy a proper meal or a good night's rest. But when he starts sharing it 
The more he shared, the more he gets, and the happier that he was. God says we might know his power. Two reasons. Watch this. Christians need to know God's power. Number one, by nature, we are too weak to appreciate and appropriate this wealth and to use it as, as, it, should, as it should be. The, the Bible says this, the spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. To turn this vast spiritual wealth over to mere, a mere human being, living by human wisdom and strength, would be like giving our children the keys to the, um, you, know, you know, the key they give to the president for the, uh, um, the nuclear codes? It would be doing that. But God's power enable us to use God's wealth. We are too weak in our human sense. We are too weak. Um, I know somebody has a, 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 a what is this car with powerful engine outside, right? Powerful engine. I'm not going to say their name. Powerful engine. That, that car, you know, just started going, right? Scares you, right? Now, picture this. Um, that car is a beautiful thing. I mean, the engine, the, 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 the horsepower, beautiful thing. And you can drive it. I've seen the father drives it. When the father drives it, go really calm, very slow. You know, you, you would say it doesn't even drive it appropriately. But that car has horsepower to go real fast. And the right hand, that car is a good tool. And the wrong hand, that car can be a deadly weapon. In other words, if I give that key to that car to PJ, that's a deadly, that's a deadly proposition. But if I drive that car and I'm in a hurry, I know how to use it. In other words, God's power, God would not give his power without giving you the power to handle his power. Let me, I'm going I'm to say this again. You all ready? That's probably the best thing I say all, all day to, you know, probably say, this is a boring sermon. God would not give you any power without, give you, without giving you power to handle the power. Every tool that you need to handle God's power is at your disposal. You got the Bible. You got the Holy Spirit. You got the fellowship of the saints. In other words, when you on your own, you cannot handle God's power. But with the help of the Holy Spirit, being in his word, you are able to access God's power and use it with all your might. But too many of us, we don't know how to access God's power because we don't know God. Paul prayed that we might know God, we might know the calling, we might know the riches, and we might know the power. 
Um, do you know why you need the power? Um, the second reason you need the power, you have an enemy. That enemy cannot be defeated if on your own. That for, for that enemy to be defeated, you need to be connected. You need to be connected to the source of power. When you're connected to that source of power, you find the energy, the resources, the strength to defeat the enemy. That's why in your Christian life, if you are with Christ, you are walking from victory to victory. You are not going from defeat to defeat, but rather from victory to victory. The Christian is not fighting to win. The Christian is rather fighting from a winning position. Why? Because I got God's power in me. Amen. Amen. That, 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 that's the best I could do. Uh, do you know how much power it is? Because it is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. In other words, God spoke, Jesus come out. The same way Lazarus was in, 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 the, in the tomb. Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. Some people said, had Jesus said, come forth, everybody would come out. But you have to be specific. That same power is in you. I'm not saying for you going to raise somebody who's, who's dead. No, the point I'm making to you is this. If you know how much power that's available to you, how much power you have in God, you would not be walking with your head like this. You would, be, you would, be, you, you, you would have your swagger. You, 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 you would know that I am not just, I'm not just anybody. I am somebody. My daddy got power, I got power. That's what it is. Now I'm done. I'm done. Um, the reality of it is simply this. If you don't know, then you don't know. But if you know, you got to take advantage of it. Do you guys lose? Okay. Um, let me let me give you let me give you let me give you a story. They tell the story of a young man who loves a young lady. The young lady had no interest in the young man. Probably said he was too short. He wasn't this. He wasn't that. You know what the young man did? Everything the young lady loves, he learned, he knew, to where that at a certain point, the young lady could not find anybody that was good enough for her, nobody that would satisfy. And then so as she kept rejecting candidates, rejecting candidates come in, you know, the guy's tall, but he's not smart. The guy is this, he has money, but he's not this. But this young man who loved that young lady, you know what he did? He learned everything that satisfies her. He learned everything that there is to know about her. And then, one day out of the blue, he showed up and began to talk to her. And she said, where have you been all my life? He said, I have been learning you all my life. And as a result, they were able to live a life together. 
What I'm trying to tell you is this. God has given you a playbook on how to know him, on how to have access to him. The reality of it is this. For you to know God's power, for you to know God's calling on your life, for you to know God intimately, you have to get lost in the book. Get lost and to know God. And then one day, without you thinking, without you expecting, Jesus will come back and say, I'm ready for you. As you get to know God, study his word. Spend time in prayer. Have a devotional life. Because it's God's desire for you to know him. Ask anybody, ask anybody who's been married, and they will tell you, no matter how long they've been married, they know their spouse. Let me, let me, let me, let me, let me put my wife on blast for a second. Um, it, it's a good one, honey. Um, <laughs> the, the camera, don't go on my wife. Uh, my, my wife, my wife and I, we love to go out to eat. It's a true story. She, she, you, you, you guys can look at her face and she'll tell you. We love to go out to eat. Um, but my wife has this thing. She look at the menu. She's like, ah. She wants, she's like, how about this? How about this? How about this? Uh, you know I'm telling the truth. How about this? How about that? But me knowing my wife, you know what I say? Because I know she's not gonna, it's not going to be easy for her to choose one thing. You know what I said? Dave, take note. All right? Um, you, know what, you know what I said? I said, what are the top two that you like? What are the top two that you like? Huh? The top two that you like. She said, this one and that one. The top two that she cannot make up her mind about. We order those two. And you know what? When those two come, when they come, you know what we do? She tastes the first one and tastes the second one. Whichever one she doesn't like, that's my meal. When you know somebody, when you know somebody, you do the things that satisfy them. You know what God is asking you and knowing him? Be obedient. Be faithful. Be pure. And you know what God's going to do in return? You're going to get to share all the inheritance with him. Forever and ever. Because I let my wife pick the two meals, I get to be a husband for, what, 15 years now? So the point is this. Do what God asks. You'll be with him forever. May God bless you.